Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Today's podcast is going to be a compilation of two older podcasts that were only released to the patrons. I think it was like episode 55 and episode 85, something like that. But they are both on the nucleus split method. To me, this is one of the simplest, most basic techniques And I want to share it because I know in many parts of the country, all of you are getting close to split season. So I want to share these two. This is sort of a rough cut, just glomming these together and putting them out to you. I have been working on a fundraising project in my own community where I am offering for any donation, a charity that's very special to my heart. And that is World Central Kitchen, wck.org. They provide hot meals for refugees of all kinds of disasters. I have been an intermittent supporter of theirs in the past, and they've been, they've show, they show up with planes and food and hot soup and everything for people. On Twitter, you'll see the hashtag chefs for whatever country they're in. And right now they're doing huge work for the refugees coming out of Ukraine. So far as of today, it's two million women, children, elders coming out. And the photos on Twitter of World Central Kitchen dishing up hot food for people who've been standing in freezing cold trying to get over the border, particularly into Poland, has moved my heart. So I'm doing a local fundraiser that any of my friends, family, community members that donate $40 or more to World Central Kitchen, then I will boost that donation by sending that person a little squeeze jar of Five Apple Farm honey. Y'all knew I had a stash, right? <laughs> this is kind of the keeper's stash, the, the stash I hold back just in case the bees are going to need it. This is a cause that is so near my heart because of the time I spent teaching English in Estonia in the Baltics. And those two years were a very special time of my life. So even though that's not exactly nearby, that whole region is very special to me. And Ukraine has a huge beekeeping tradition. I'm going to talk more about that later, about some cool historical postcards. I collect postcards that I found of, of all things, Ukrainian beehives. Now that feels more special than, than ever. Again, wck.org. And if any of the listeners, now I know you, a lot of you already have honey, so you don't need it. But if you want to send me in an email to blueridge714 at gmail.com. If you want to send me a snapshot of a donation of $40 or more to World Central Kitchen, wck.org, I am glad to send you a squeeze jar of Five Apple Farm honey as well to say thank you for reaching out and helping people who are in a desperate situation. And in closing that, I will say, Slava Ukraini. Now, closer to home, we as creators and listeners of this podcast, we all made a donation to Common Ground of Eastern North Carolina, and that is a community food garden beekeeping endeavor. One of the organizers wrote me when I had offered to make a donation on behalf of the listeners of this podcast, and so we sent that off this week and got a thank you note from those folks, and so it's, it's a pretty cool project. You can look it up online, Common Ground of Eastern North Carolina. All right, so the first part 
that you're about to hear is an episode that was a patron bonus, and it's a reading from one of my very favorite beekeeping blogs out of Scotland, The Apiarist. And I'm reading a blog post where he describes the nucleus method. You know I can't help myself, and so I have comments interspersed. <laughs> but I'm trying to get better at my readings of not popping in all the time and saying, and you know, you could do this and this and this. And then there'll be a little pause and I'll do the episode where I talked about how I make a nucleus split, which is extremely similar. And then there's actually a tale of making a split where surprises were encountered. And hopefully this will hearten you whenever you go in to make a split and you've got it all in your head. And then you go in and you find a situation that you have to adapt your plan. So hopefully you will enjoy those. As a bonus for the patrons who keep this podcast on the air, hopefully Friday, which is an off day for me, I am going to put on patreon.com slash fiveapple a written description of the Nucleus Method like I do it. And then I'll also put the variations that I do on it. And that will be something that the patrons can download and print out if they want and have it as a recipe to follow. And I may, if I can, do a short audio just on the Patreon website with some comments on that handout. And my aim is to do that this Friday. So I'm wishing you all well, and I hope that there's something helpful in these two upcoming segments. And I look forward to talking to you all soon. Hello, this is Lee. I wanted to do a little bonus podcast reading for you guys. Thank you so much for your support here on Patreon. It really means a lot. This reading today is from one of my favorite blogs. You have heard from it a lot, The Apiarist. That is theapiarist.org. It is a Scottish beekeeping blog of a bee researcher by day and a beekeeper for fun in the other times. So you know he's a great guy if he can't get enough of bees just like all of us. The article I'm going to read today is, um, actually I don't see a date on it, but is I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's what he calls the nucleus method. This is a method of making splits and it's also a method of swarm control. It's the one I used most here. If I see a hive that I'm thinking they have that look in their eye like they're thinking about swarming, this is the technique that I will use. This is called the nucleus method. Now he starts off here contrasting it with Pagden's artificial swarm as, as a basic technique that's taught to all beginner beekeepers. And that, I think, is a UK-Scotland thing because... That is not something I was ever taught as a new beekeeper here in the U.S., but um, you can read about Pagnan's artificial swarm. But anyway, here's the article, The Nucleus Method. Almost all beekeeping associations and most books teach Pagden's artificial swarm as the recommended method of swarm control. It is tried and tested and reasonably dependable. However, it can be a bit tricky to grasp for inexperienced beekeepers. At least part of the problem is you have to have two hives that looked the same, one on the original site, one adjacent. Conducted properly, the adjacent hive is moved to the other side of the original a week later or so in the process. Teaching this in a poorly lit, drafty church hall in late January, facing the audience with the inevitable confusion over left and right, and getting new and old hive mix up, mixed up, often bamboozles the beginner or the instructor. Here's an alternative, the nucleus method of swarm control. 
general principles. The method is simplicity itself. When the colony looks as though it's preparing to swarm, you remove the queen, some stores, and some bees into a nucleus hive. This keeps the queen safe in case things go awry with the original colony. Then you return a week later and remove all but one queen cell in the original colony. The virgin queen emerges, mates, returns, and starts laying. A month or so after starting, the original colony is headed by a new queen, and you have a spare building up in the nucleus box. You can overwinter this, sell it, give it away, or, after removing the queen, unite it back with the original hive. And that's it. I said it was simple. Here's a more complete account. Equipment Needed it goes without saying that the nucleus method of swarm control needs a nucleus hive. Any sort of five-frame nuke is suitable. Nukes are incredibly useful, so they are a good investment. If you're buying one for the first time, get polystyrene as they're lighter, better insulated, and much better for overwintering bees. I reviewed polynukes a few years ago. There are even a few more makes to choose from now. And I'll pause here. Uh, poly is still not used as much here in the U.S. as it is over there. But as I've mentioned before, I have one. I really like it. The only downside is it's not interchangeable with the rest of my equipment. So you guys know all about that. And he mentions here, I'd recommend not using a two-frame nuke as it's not really enough room for stores and colony expansion. And he actually has a design for a little two-frame nuke that's it's great because it's also good as a quiet box, just a little box to have with you during your inspection to stick the queen in. But it's very cute. It's green. His is green with a screen bottom and it has straps to tote it around. So um, that, that's a handy little thing. Anyway, in addition to the nuke, you'll need five frames that are compatible with your nuke and hive. Ideally, one or two of these should be drawn comb, but don't worry if you just have foundation. A dummy board can also be useful. Like nukes, you could almost never have too many dummy boards. And again, a, this is Lee, a dummy board is something that I only really ran across by reading um, UK blogs, and I love it. It's also a follower board, is what you may have heard it called here. And it's just a skinny board that fits in where a frame goes. And it's strange how useful these are, but I found them very useful. I won't get into that now. Okay, so back to the article. Honeybee development. To properly understand honeybee swarm control, you really need to understand the timing of the development cycle of queen bees. Queen cells have a characteristic appearance. Unlike the horizontally oriented worker cells, larvae destined to become queens hatch from eggs laid in vertically oriented queen cells. After three days as eggs and a further five days of larval development, the queen cell is sealed. A colony will usually swarm on or soon after after the queen cells are sealed. This is why it's recommended that colony inspections are conducted at seven-day intervals. If the colony is thinking of swarming, you'll find an unsealed cell because there were none last week when you expected and they take eight days to be sealed. That's eight days from the egg being laid. And you can immediately start swarm control. Day one, making up the queen right nucleus colony. If you find one or more unsealed queen cells at a routine inspection, don't panic. You're prepared. You've done your homework and you have the necessary equipment. Stuff the entrance of a nucleus hive with grass and place it near the colony. Two, remove one of the outer frames from the colony. You've probably already done this to give yourself room for the inspection, as this should have good amounts of sealed and unsealed stores. Three, check again that the queen isn't on this frame of stores, unlikely, and that it doesn't contain any queen cells. 
again unlikely. 4. Gently transfer the frame of stores plus all the adhering bees to the nucleus box. 5. Continue the inspection and find the queen. Be gentle, don't rush, don't use too much smoke. 6. Ideally, you want the queen on a frame with some sealed and emerging brood. If you're lucky, you'll find her on a suitable frame. 7. Gently transfer the queen and the frame she is on to the nucleus box. It is very important that this frame has no queen cells on it. Check very carefully. Destroy any you find. 8. Your new colony is now queen right and has two frames of bees. Push the frames against the side wall of the nuke box, leaving a wide gap. 9. Into this gap, shake a further two frames of bees. Foragers are likely to leave the nuke and return to the original hive. You do not want the box to be short of young bees. If in doubt, shake a further frame of bees into the gap in the nuke. 10. Add a frame of drawn comb, if you have it, and then fill the box with foundation. Add a dummy board if needed. Gently place the crown board and the roof on the nuke. Secure everything with a strap and turn your attention to the colony. Notes. This is still notes on that nuke box. The purpose of this exercise is to establish a small colony with stores, a laying queen, space to lay, and sufficient bees to support her and the brood being reared. Or, listeners, as you know, I call it staff. <laughs> Remember, stores, queen, bee space, no queen cells. You can't go wrong. You will usually find the queen on a frame with eggs and young larvae. It is very important that this frame does not have any queen cells on it. And I'll do a side note here. The importance about not having any queen cells, if you have a virgin hatch out or emerge out when you have a laying queen in the hive, I've always been told that the virgin will immediately go and kill your queen. And then you've, you know, the, the, whatever hive that is, is then thrown back and they have to get a mated queen. So the whole point of keeping your mated queen is to not get her killed by a virgin. So that's why you're making sure there's no queen cells in that nuke. Okay, back to the article. Ideally, you want the queen on a frame of emerging brood. This offers a number of advantages. The young bees will immediately strengthen the population supporting the queen. The vacated cells can be used by the queen to lay eggs, so reducing the need for drawn comb or for the bees to build new comb. The new colony will go through a period with no sealed brood, and you can take advantage of this for varroa management if needed. I'll deal with this in another post, he says. It's unlikely due to the age of the other brood to have a queen cell on it. One of the most common problems encountered with this method of swarm control is making up or ending up with a nuke that is not strong enough. A weak nuke will be unable to defend itself against robbing or wasps. There's very little chance of weakening the original hive too much. And listeners, on this point, I totally agree. If in doubt, and once you've got the queen in that box and the gap, just shake shake a bunch of young bees in there. A lot of them are going to go fly back to the hive, um, but it's always, in my opinion, good to have a few too many young bees than, than too few because they just get weak and they putter along and can expose themselves to a lot of risk. Okay, back to the article. One way to avoid losing foragers from the nuke is to move it to an out apiary more than three miles from the original hive. If you do leave the nuke in the same apiary, check it a couple of days later. The bees should have chewed their way out through the dried grass. If they haven't, pull a bit out at the corner of the entrance to encourage them to fly. And so what he's doing there is he's he stuffed the entrance closed with grass. Air can obviously still get in. Hopefully you've got a screened bottom on this. The grass kind of keeps them locked in for a minute. And if the bees are on that on the fence of whether to stay or go, 
that might help them to stay. If they're real forager bees, they're going to go. There's no stopping them. And if they're real nurse bees, they're not going to try to go. But I think that one gets the ones in the middle. And again, you can move the nuke somewhere else if you want to just eliminate that altogether. Okay, so now we're moving to the, the big original colony, which is now queenless. Day one, preparing with the queenless colony. One, inspect every frame in the colony. Destroy all large queen cells. Anything that looks like a queen cell in the picture above should be destroyed. The idea here is to only leave queen cells containing very small larvae. And listeners, as you know, being greedy <laughs> and also having a lot of bees to work with. So I could, I've got a lot of bees I could shake into uh, any number of mating nukes. You know, if I find a beautiful queen cell, I always put it in my queen castle with a little staff and just see if I can get a good mated queen out of it. But he's doing it where you're only dealing with two hives here. You've got your big hive, which is now queenless, and then your little nuke, which has got your queen and her staff. So again, he says, inspect every frame in that queenless colony. Destroy all large queen cells. Anything that looks like a queen cell in the picture above should be destroyed. The idea here is to only leave queen cells containing very small larvae. Two, mark the frames containing these remaining selected queen cells using a drawing pin or a pin. <laughs> so I think he's talking about a thumbtack. Three, push the frames together. Add two frames of foundation. Add the crown board. Close up the colony. All right. One week later, ensuring the queenless colony does not swarm. The timing and thoroughness of this inspection is important. Don't do it earlier or later. Don't rush it. Don't leave more than one queen cell. One. Inspect the colony and look for queen cells on the frames you marked a week earlier. These should have very young larvae in them and so will now be sealed too. Select one queen cell to keep, just one. Which one? Choose one that is large, well-shaped, and has a sculpted exterior. Three, destroy all the other queen cells on this frame, all of them. If you need to remove the bees to see the frame better, either brush them off or blow gently on them. Do not shake the bees off this frame as it may damage the developing queen. Four, gently return the frame with the selected queen cell to the box and emphasize gently here. Five, inspect all other frames in the colony, not just the ones you marked last week and destroy all the queen cells you find. You can shake the bees off these frames to be sure of finding all other queen cells. That was number six. Seven, remember that some queen cells will be unsealed. Destroy them all. Eight, return all the frames to the colony. Close it up and leave it for at least two weeks before inspecting again. See below. Note, the purpose of this return visit is to leave the colony with only a single queen cell. Because you removed the queen a week ago, there are no other suitably aged young larvae or eggs for the colony to rear queens from. Therefore, the colony cannot produce multiple casts, and casts are what they call swarms headed by virgin queens. We often call them virgins. The nucleus method of swarm control often leaves the queenless colony very strong, and if you leave more than one queen cell, the colony may produce produce casts. What if the queen gets lost on a mating flight? Shouldn't I, I leave, shouldn't I leave two queen cells just to be on the safe side? No. If there's a problem with the queen getting mated, you've still got the old queen tucked away safely in the nuke box. Queen cells that are large, well-shaped, and sculpted have received a lot of attention from the workers and so presumably contain a well-fed, good quality queen. Don't be tempted to inspect the colony in less than two weeks. Ideally, leave them for three weeks. If you inspect too early, there's a chance that the queen may not have had a chance to mate and start laying, so the point of inspecting is missed. 
or worse, that she returns from her mating flight as you have the box open and is then confused or lost. Don't meddle, exclamation point. Look for pollen being taken into the colony. And as we talked about uh, last week on the regular podcast, pollen going into the colony is not a guarantee that there's a laying queen and don't ever fall for that. But it means they believe the laying queen is coming shortly. Have patience. Bees have been around a few million years. They would not be this successful if they weren't pretty good at getting queens mated. Finally, particularly if the weather is poor, check the nukes as well. Check the nuke as well. Ensure that it has sufficient stores. With a reduced number of bees, there's a chance they could starve if the bees can't forage, in which case the queen in the main colony is going to struggle to get out and mate as well. And this is Lee. Definitely, yeah, make weather note. When you, on that queen calendar calculator that I talked to you about last week on the regular podcast, that's one of the great things I love about that is you can actually look at the dates and it's about a week that the queen is likely out there on her mating flights. And if you have beautiful weather, then you know that's going to probably go well. And then if you have reliably crappy weather (laughs) for that whole week, then you really keep an eye on that return queen because she has a very good chance of not being um, well-mated. So it's nice to jot weather notes down if if you have queens out getting mated. All right, and this is his wrap-up. Pros and cons of the nucleus method of swarm control. With the exception of vertical splits, almost all of my swarm control uses this nucleus method. I particularly like the nucleus method because I have lots of nuke boxes. His little smiley face. And that's true for me too. And because it leaves manageable single entrance hives rather than double height multiple entrance stacks. Almost all of the foraging bees are left with the original colony, so the nectar gathering capacity is not significantly reduced. I almost never use the Pagden's artificial swarm, largely because it ties up too much equipment. Pros. Limited amount of extra equipment needed, five frames and a nuke box, both of which are useful anyway. Two. The old queen is kept safe and out of the way. Three. Simple to implement with just two visits at fixed times. Four. Reasonably easy to understand the manipulations involved. Five, no heavy lifting. Six, you generate a nucleus colony to give away or to build up for overwintering. Cons, one, you need to find the queen. Two, you need to find all the queen cells and use your judgment as to their age and quality. Three, unless you remove the nuke to an out apiary, there's a good chance a lot of bees will return to the original hive. Make sure you add enough at the start and be prepared to add more if you check the nuke after a day or two and find it heavily depleted. If you don't want to make increase, the nuke is a little more difficult to unite back with the original colony. And I, and I don't know exactly what he's referring to there because to me, uniting a nuke with the original colony is like super easy with newspaper. So I'm not sure what he's referring to, but maybe it's just because you have to go through a few extra steps. And he concludes with, give it a go. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and of course, in bees, the answer to that is, oh, many, many things. And he's got other notes down at the bottom. But I found this to be, it is usually very successful. And like, and like he says, the great thing is you just need your original hive and you need one extra nuke box. And that's, that's pretty easy. And besides, you're going to need nuke boxes because you're going to be making so many bees. You're just going to need somewhere to put them. All right. I'm wishing you all well. Um, I'll be back shortly with a um, regular podcast on the regular channel. And if you're listening to this, on Patreon. I just wanted to remind you that there's a way and and look around on Patreon. There's a thing that says, um, let's see, what does it say? It says something like RSS link. And it's the link to these bonus podcasts 
on Patreon. And if you copy that link into your podcast player, then you will automatically get these bonus podcasts just as if you were subscribing to a regular podcast. And because I'm I'm also, by the way, I'm also making a point to always post the regular podcasts here on Patreon on the same RSS feed so that if you just want to subscribe to your special RSS feed, then you'll get all the podcasts here and you don't have to subscribe. Okay. And if you like whatever you're doing now, then just ignore all that. I wish you the best possible week and I'll talk to you soon. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I'm going to be talking about the splits I've been making lately, mostly by the nucleus method, and I've done another podcast on the nucleus method. But it's one of my favorites to use, especially when the weather is still chilly at night because it doesn't divide up the bees too small. I've had really good results with it, and then with just a couple of adjustments, you can turn it into a queen maker split and make multiple nukes out of out of one hive. And that's what I'm going to be just telling the story of how I did that. This one, which will tell you my adventures with that same method in the last couple of weeks. For those tuned in on the main channel, I'll give you a tip as a thank you for listening to this bookmark. One is I ran across a friend of mine on Facebook, Ruby, who keeps bees out in the Pacific Northwest. She posted something about what an absolute joy it was to be keeping bees in year five. You know, how satisfying it was to feel like you knew what was going on and feel like you knew what you needed to do next. And I just want to testify for a second about it just gets better. The longer that you do bees, there's just all these things you don't have to worry about anymore. All these, all this basic stuff, the general arc of timing, although the iffiness of weather can always change that, but the, the arc of timing, the basic life cycle of the bee through the year, the basic maneuvers and techniques you use in beekeeping, all those things are just a given. You have those in the background and that frees you up to just see the intricacies and the amazing things that the bees do and also to fine tune the way you do your splits and when you do them and how you set up the nukes and which bees you put in which part of the split. All those things can just get better and better. It's not to say you can't just use a blunt tool <laughs> and do a walkaway split. But once you find how you can accomplish more specifically the thing it is you want to accomplish once you grow your skills, it just gets more and more satisfying. And it's such a pleasure to work with the bees once you're not so worried about everything all the time. <laughs> and I mean, maybe not everybody's worried, but I was worried a lot for the first many years. So I find it a relief to be able to relax a little bit and just know some of the basics in the background. So if you're just starting out and you're overwhelmed, just keep going. You're going to learn it. It just becomes more and more joyful. On that same topic, and just before I transition off of here and onto the Patreon, I ran across another quote by Michael Palmer, the famous Vermont beekeeper, who said, go by the flows not by the calendar. This is so true, not just about the honey flow, but about everything you do in beekeeping. There are some people who will be like, this date on the calendar. In fact, I, I saw this lady post, in Michigan, we do our splits on this date, response to a, a beginner question. And of course, I just kind of groan because, well, yeah, you do it on that date unless it's been a snowy month and it's too early to do that or unless it needed to be done earlier. The bees don't go by the calendar. They go by the flows, like Michael Palmer said, and also the light and the general weather. Some of the things I did in the splits 
recently I got away with because it was a bit chilly after I made them. The delay that I had at the end of one of them would not have worked if it hadn't been that chilly weather, but I'll go into that. So that's what Michael Palmer says. Go by the flows, not by the calendar. I would add in, go by what that hive is doing, that particular hive. How mature it is will help you decide what to do next. So thank you, regular listeners. I'll be back soon with a podcast here. And dear, dear patrons over at Patreon, here comes your bonus podcast. So hello, I just have to say thank you all for your continued support of this podcast. It really does. Your support here on Patreon makes it makes it happen. It keeps me coming back. I feel a sense of obligation to all of you in the best kind of way that I'm like, they're, they're supporting me. I want to support them in their beekeeping journey, whether it is just for the entertainment of hearing bee talk or whether you're actually really trying to, to learn actual stuff. So I mentioned that I have been doing splits. I have been taking the somewhat conservative approach to splits, and that is by using the nucleus method. I love it because it's it's very simple. It's also very safe because you have the queen, the old queen, um, who might not be that old, but maybe you just want to make more hives, but you have her set aside safely in case it doesn't work. And so the outline, the broad outline, and I've I've done a podcast here on the Patreon feed on the nucleus method. Uh, by I think it was a reading out of the apiarist where he goes through blow by blow what the method is the simple outline is that you have a hive that is starting to expand for the spring for example I mean you you can actually do this method a lot of times a year in the spring they're starting to expand and you don't want to push it you want to go ahead and get your splits out you don't want to take a chance on that hive splitting Uh, I'm sorry, on that hive swarming. And that is the case that I was in with the survivors from my rough winter. I wanted to make sure to get more splits off them, even though I am attempting to keep fewer hives. That's not going so well so far. But anyway, I am, uh, uh, the number of hives is not so important to me, but I had two hives in particular that I really, really wanted to make sure I got more of those genetics because I have been very impressed with them. So the method is the nucleus method, and all it is, you go into your parent hive, and you find the queen, you pull her, and like probably the frame, maybe the frame she's on, depending on what which frame she's on, but you just want her, you want maybe a couple frames of capped or emerging brood, and then you want a couple of shakes of um, nurse bees. And how do you know they're nurse bees? You don't. But when you shake them in, if they fly away, they weren't nurse bees. (laughs) And if they stay, they were. And that's how you want it to work out. So all I did was get a little nuke box, set it up over in a different spot in the apiary, the same apiary. Then I had my queen on a frame. She happened to be on a frame that was mostly capped, and so that that would work. The thing about open brood is that you just have to be more attentive. If you put open brood in the little retirement nuke, You're going to have to be more attentive and put more bees and more stores in there because they will need something to feed all those babies because they're going to lose the flying bees when you move them away from the parent hive from the original site. So over in the site, what we'll now call the Queen's Retirement Villa, I put her a couple frames of emerging capped brood because they don't, once they're capped, they don't require any food. And once they emerge, then they become her staff to tend new, the new brood nest she'll make in that little nuke. Now, she's a good, strong queen that isn't too old. She'll build up that nuke quickly, even with the loss of the um, 
flying bees because they have lost the flying bees of course you have attended to that and you have provide you've put in there frames of open nectar which you'll probably find in the big hive so I found some nice fat frames of open nectar now remember I'm using mediums so if you're using deeps you might just one good frame of open nectar might do the trick but so I've made sure she's got some pollen nectar staff and the queen and you've got a queen retirement villa and she's set over by herself on the site with the parent colony, now I have a queenless hive. They're going to know she's queenless within about with under an hour for sure. And you'll hear them make that distinctive buzz that is the queenless buzz that you will come to recognize over time as not wanting to hear <laughs> unless you unless you are the cause of it. Otherwise, you're like, oh man, I've either crushed the queen or the queen has flown or something. So anyway, that's the, the nucleus methods. Very simple to that point and on the parent colony site, you now have a couple of options. They're going to build quite a few queen cells. They're going to be emergency queen cells. And in the past, the common wisdom has been, oh, those don't produce as good a quality a queen. There's some research being done right now that is saying that really a lot of times emergency queens are as good as grafted queens i would put out there as research goes on if you control for young wax in other words if the frames that that colony makes their emergency queen on if those frames have a lot of fresh young wax then i believe that quality is very comparable to a grafted queen i do believe a true swarm queen is always probably going to be the the fattest and most perfect but of the queens you can buy an emergency queen made in your own hive at the right time meaning lots of good food uh, coming in for the bees lots of good pollen in a strong healthy hive is going to give you probably a better queen than you're used to getting if you buy them from many commercial sources. So that's my little <laughs> plug for making making your own queens if you uh, particularly if you're in an area with fairly good bees or you have already fairly good bees and I'm for it. I think it's definitely worth a try even if you're unsure of the quality of queen that you'll get. Give it a try and and see what happens. Of course, if you're in an area with africanized bees, then there's issues with that. And you, you guys need to talk to people experienced people in your area <laughs> about that. But if you're in the many places that do not have that problem yet, then you have the luxury of making your own queen. So at that parent hive, you have a couple of options. You can wait 10 days and go back in there. Now, the going back in there, that is non-negotiable. You have to go back in there or else that hive will start throwing swarms once the virgins emerge. But you do have the option at 10 days to go back in and either cull those queen cells. You have to go through every frame, look for queen cells. You can either cull them down to one. I don't know why anybody would do that. <laughs> but that's what some people are like. I don't want to make increase. And I'm like, why don't you want to make increase? You know, there are so many people who would totally give you over $100 for the nuke that you can make in your own little backyard. But anyway, I'm told that some people don't want to make increase. <laughs> I, I hear there are people like that. Then you could, in theory... Cull the queen cells down to one and let that one virgin emerge. Go out on her mating flight. And if you're lucky, I think there's about a three out of four chances you'll be lucky. She'll come back and start up a new colony. So then you've got a brand new queen. But in case she gets eaten by a bird or in case she's that one out of four that, that don't make it for whatever reason or don't get well mated, 
you still have the queen mother over there in her retirement villa. So you're covered. And that's really the safety aspect of the nucleus split is you haven't done anything with the queen. She's still well tended, well cared for in a smaller format that keeps her, even if she's an older queen, a lot of times they will not supersede her if you put her and a small staff in a nuke box because there's like, hey, she's not so bad after all. Whereas if she starts faltering in a big hive, they may uh, supersede her. But getting back to the splits. What I prefer to do at 10 days, and why 10 days? 10 days from the time either that you graft a larva if you're grafting queens, or from the time you remove the queen from a hive, which starts the queen making process by the remaining hive. So 10 days later, that cell is considered ripe. And by ripe, it means she's almost ready to emerge, but not quite. And that is a very critical <laughs> juncture. You don't want to really do it you, do, you don't want to get in there and do anything with queen cells that are seven to nine days old. So basically seven to nine days after you pull that queen, you don't even want to open that hive because during that time she is growing her little wing buds and they're very easily damaged. So if you jostled those queen cells during that time, you could damage her. And so you don't want to do that. You know the day that you have pulled the queen out of there. And you put that on your calendar and then you set yourself a big old alarm on your phone and you write on your calendar 10 days. So the day you pull the queen and then the next day counts as one. All right. So there's a day I pull. Let's say I pulled her on Monday. Then Tuesday is day one. And on the 10th day, go in there and you are going to find a cornucopia of emergency queen cells. If your hive is healthy and they had plenty of young larvae to work with, then you will find typically emergency cells on multiple frames. And this is why I kind of call it a queen maker split, or that this is the queen maker variety of this split, because each of those frames, I mean, really each of those cells, and if you have foundation that's uh, wax, or if you're just particularly dexterous, or if you have natural comb, you can actually take each of those mature cells and set it up with a little mating nuke, mating nuke and mating nuke staff. Each of those could conceivably become a new queen. If you have less dexterity <laughs> or if you have plastic foundation, which makes it very challenging, then sometimes you have to do it frame based. You can have a frame and it might have two or three queen cells on there. Sometimes if it has several queen cells on it, I will call them all, but like the two biggest ones, then put that in a, in a mating nuke because it's just, I'm, I mean, I don't know that that makes any difference, but my thought is, you know, if that little tiny runny one, <laughs> if she's the first one to emerge, I don't want her killing these big fat cells. I might do a little picking and choosing that way, but I typically always leave more than one on the frame just because I'm in my mind, that's a backup. I don't know if that's really true. And sometimes if you leave more than one, you will have happen what I had. And that was, I made that mating nuke a little bit too strong. When the first virgin emerged, she swarmed out onto the apple tree. And so she, I did put her in another mating nuke and did get two out of it. But if I hadn't been there, I would have, I would have missed that one. But there was still another one back in the mating nuke. I just made it a little too strong. So for mating nukes, as you make them up, it is going to depend very much on what your weather is, what equipment you have. For me personally, I just need, I use the queen castles. I like to have about three frames of bees. I like to have, you know, a frame of stores because when I move them away from the parent hive, those that are moved away are not going to have flying bees. So I have to attend to their needs. 
which is so a good frame of open nectar and then I like to put a frame of uh, of capped brood most of the time that will be the frame that the queen cells on because since there hasn't been a queen in there and it's been 10 days then all the brood is going to be capped then maybe an empty frame or a partial frame of capped brood something like that and then of course all the bees that are clinging to all those frames and for me um, the little three frame medium slots in the queen castle with those ingredients really do well even if it gets fairly chilly if the nights are still chilly then i will definitely shake some more bees in there when you're breaking up that parent colony into the mating nukes the queen's not in there so it's easy to shake more bees and not worry about getting a queen now you don't want to shake any frame with a queen cell on it ever before you shake a frame if you're harvesting queen cells be sure to look over and make sure it doesn't have a queen cell on it so i set up my mating nukes which in my case is just the queen castles most of my queen castles have three compartments with three frames each on one hive spot i can have three mating nukes the thing i do love about the queen castle and I really consider it a vital piece of equipment that you either make one or get one is that because they're all together they just stay warmer they're under a little less stress than if it's a freestanding mating nuke then they've got more sides exposed to the outside and they've got less bodies heating it in the cool night so you have to put a little more population in there so anyway on day 10 I set up my mating nukes I also leave a good queen cell on the original site now the original site's got all those flying bees. Once that queen was removed, well then a few days later they don't have any brood to feed. So if you happen to time this during your honey flow, if you if this is going on during your honey flow, then by all means put some extra space in the form of drawn comb on that original parent hive because in their boredom they can be putting away quite a bit of nectar. And you've heard me talk about the cut down split. It is um, a further... Uh, method to maximize the honey aspect. So anyway, I'm just not too focused on honey this year because my priorities are, if this sounds different, I'm recording this part on a separate day because I had to stop the other day, raising more bees because I want to get the hybrid Layens Lazutin hive that I hope to build very shortly. So the splits that I did in the home yard uh, went fairly without a hitch. The one that I mentioned earlier about the swarm, that was really fun to pull that little virgin swarm out of the apple tree. One part that made it fun was they stopped about chest high, which made it super easy. But they it was a tiny swarm because it came out of a mating nuke. And they landed on a branch that was big. So I ran into that situation where I was only able to thump a certain amount of them off into the hive that I had put underneath them to catch them. And then there were still quite a few on the branch. And I was not sure which group the queen was in. So I got to use that trick that I posted here on Patreon a while back that Brian Fisher taught me of holding up old brood comb or even comb with brood on it if you happen to have it uh, t to the branch where the little remainder of the swarm is. And those little bees will just walk right on. So what I did is I held up the frame. Those little bees that had been left behind on the branch just all start walking onto the frame. So it only took about two frames to get them all off the branch. The queen was not in them. What was interesting about that swarm, and I also have a video of this accidentally, is I, I was videoing the 
the ones that had kind of hit the ground some most <laughs> many of them went in the hive but then there were a fair amount on the ground in front of the hive and luckily the ones on the hive were fanning and so the ones on the ground were processing very beautifully into the hive and I thought oh that's a nice video to show people so I was videoing it and I had wondered you know where the queen was in all this at about 12 seconds into the video there she is walking in so she had hit the ground and thank goodness I didn't step on her or anything and she did decide to go into the hive which to me is a good sign it was a good sign that day that they wouldn't leave again and so here we are several days later and they're still there crossing my fingers now this was a thing I actually had to look up okay so if she comes out of virgin swarm and I knew she was a virgin swarm because they came out of a mating nuke and they hadn't been in there long enough for a mated queen to be in there and run out of space so I knew what had happened was I had put a frame in there with several queen cells and then I put a nice hefty little population for a mating nuke. First virgin that emerged, she did the math. I don't know if it turned out right and decided to to fly. That was the one I did get in the hive. Now so they're now they're on the other side of the uh, apple orchard. And I just happened to be out there and see them. Actually I heard the sound of the swarm, which is such a distinctive sound. I was in the garden and I heard the, and I'm like what is that and I was very surprised because out back there's nothing but mating nukes there's not any full-size hives in that particular area sure enough I saw a little cloud of bees and I walked out there and just waited it was really wonderful it was a day off it was so beautiful in the spring and so I just watched that cloud of bees figure out what they were doing and then very slowly start to coalesce on the apple branch which I was thrilled that they went that low then I went and got the stuff put to hive them and even though I knew she was a virgin queen and I had actually walked over to the mating nukes to see which one looked busy and spotted the one that they came from because I wanted to look in there and see what was still in there after I got the little tiny swarm settled I got the little tiny swarm in their little box then went over to the queen castle and the slot that I knew they had come out of and I kind of just couldn't imagine that there would be many bees left in there but there was a fair amount and because it's a queen castle you don't need that many I guess maybe I put a frame of um, emerging brood in when I built that mating nuke and they all emerged there was still a frame with a beautiful cap queen cell on there that has not emerged yet hopefully they will have one too so that was a two for one deal at by accident and I had great fun catching the swarm because I haven't really I haven't caught a swarm in years, partly because I try to stay ahead of things and do my splits before they swarm. Um, it's kind of like controlled swarming. Also, I swear my bees like to go to the very top of the tallest tree. Anything over the height that my swarm catch pole will reach, then I just let them go, wish them well and let them go. So that was fun to put that little virgin swarm in there. So I had wondered in hiving a virgin swarm, how that affects the timing of getting a mated queen back. And from what I found online, it doesn't seem to affect the timing too much of of the the queen's mating. She just moves into the new place and then goes about her mating flight just like if she was where I had originally put her. When I put those 10-day cells in a mating nuke of any kind, then on my calendar, I m allow her roughly a week to kind of um, harden up and get ready to fly, and then allow her a week to go out and on her mating flights, and then allow her a week to come back and get oriented and start laying. And so basically, from that 10-day cell, then three weeks later, hopefully when you check, you're going to find 
a lion queen. And that means you, you did it. You're winning. You see how long of a process it is, you know, from the time you pull the queen out of the original hive, then you wait 10 days to harvest the cells, distribute them to the mating nukes. From there, it's about three weeks before you're probably going to know whether she was successfully mated. In all that time, the parent hive, in any kind of split that you allow them to requeen, they get the full length of brood break, which is good to set back uh, the mite populations. Another day when I was talking about record keeping, something that dawned on me afterwards, in my record keeping, what's really important information for me, since I'm not using chemicals, is when was the last time that hive had a full length brood break. Usually I do my brood breaks by exactly what I've been describing in this whole podcast, by doing a, a full length uh, split where they requeen. Think in my little index electronic index card I might put a blank to to note when that hive had their had a full brood break but that's a little aside so all of mine I'm in that process that process of hurry up and wait <laughs> for them to get out there and get mated we had a week of beautiful weather and so I hope they did it because now we've got quite a few days of uh, rainy misty weather that if that was the prime mating flight time, I would be like, dang, that's not going to be as good as if it's beautiful, sunny, and not windy. But this process that went fairly smoothly over here, I went to demonstrate to the person that I'm mentoring and at uh, her yard. And so there was this big hive that she very much wanted more bees, wasn't that interested in the honey factor. And also she was only working on her lunch break. She had come home on her lunch break so that we could do the split. And I said, you know, if it goes well, we can do it. And if if things happen, then I'm off that day so I can stay and, you know, wrap up whatever we have to do if your lunch break is over. We opened the hive. We went through. We found the queen. We pulled her to the retirement villa. It was all looking great. You know, I was talking through this split. It was simple. We're sort of arranging the frames that had mostly eggs on them toward the top of the stack of boxes because that makes it easier to pull the queen cells when it comes 10 day queen harvest day. She was about to go back to work. I'm like, no problem. You know, I'll finish this last little details. And just at that moment, we pull out a frame and it has the biggest, fattest, ripest queen cell on it capped that you've ever seen. And we will look closely at the queen cell. It's not only capped, but it was the end of the queen cell was thinned out. And that's what the worker bees do. They thin it out to just almost, I guess it's the cocoon fibers, because that way they can communicate with the queen inside. That changes everything. When you are doing a split and you find a capped queen cell, you have to stop and just reevaluate everything because it changes all the math. We got a, a nuke box out of the her supply barn and we set that capped queen cell up with a few frames of, you know, the recipe, a few frames of brood staff stores in a little nuke. And so, yay, there's going to be a mated queen pretty soon. In fact, that meant that we had probably waited until the last day because generally speaking, if you come across a ripe capped queen cell in a full-size hive, many times the queen has already, the older queen has already swarmed. And sometimes those hives are so populous that you can't even tell that the swarm left. You look in there and you're like, well, this is weird. There's a capped queen cell. And then you can't find your queen. But luckily, oh my gosh, this is so lucky because we were really very pleased with that queen and, and wanted to keep her. And she wasn't very old. She was a late summer queen from last year. 
So now we had the queen in their retirement villa and beside her, but pointed the other direction, we had made a little mating nuke for the capped queen cell and she had to go back to work and I believe she was upset because she had to leave you know now and because I said you know what has to happen now is I have to go through that parent hive frame by frame side by side and see if I can find any other queen cells because in the it was interesting and it was in the top couple of boxes wasn't the first sign of a queen cell and that's where I would usually expect to see them uh, she uses eight frame mediums also but this queen cell was down in about three boxes from the top, and that was quite the surprise. And this whole hive was just boiling over with bees, which made it quite the challenge. Bless her heart, she had to go back to work wondering what was going on. <laughs> and I was thanking my lucky stars that I did not have to run back to work. And, and actually, when I had first arrived, I had told her, I said, look, if it was just me doing the split, I would never start a, a split when I only had one hour and then a hard deadline on the other side of that one hour. Because if it all goes fine, you could be done in 20 minutes. And that's what we were. We were done in about 20 minutes. And then we found the queen cell. And that changed everything. So now it's a much more involved procedure. I had to go through the big hive frame by frame, very carefully looking for queen cells. Because this queen is special, I was very gentle in looking for the queen cells. Because if there were more, I wanted to go ahead and set up mating nukes. Because that's just getting a head start on getting some more of this queen. If you had found that cap queen cell, and let's say you were happy with the, having that one and all the others, you didn't care. You just wanted to, to weed them down and start them from scratch on requeening. So in other words, to give them the full brood break, that's an advantage. But the real reason you do it is because if there are any started queen cells, it throws your math off. It throws your calendar off. And they, and so you're not going to get back in to harvest the cells or to cull them in time. And a big full-size hive that you pull the queen out of will throw multiple giant swarms when those virgins start emerging most of the times. So I had someone write me <laughs> a while back and they were like, I listened to the podcast on the cut down split and I did one, but I, I didn't go in and pull or call the queen cells. And you know, that hive swarmed and swarmed. So I was, I felt frustrated at that moment because you can no more not go back in and either harvest or call the queen cells in, in any of these self requeening splits, then you can prepare a cake but yet not put it in the oven and expect to have a cake <laughs> that's just not how it works the going back in and and dealing with the queen cells is a part of the recipe and it's a vital part as vital as cooking the cake now if that person's listening please don't get offended uh, it happens all the time and you won't do that again <laughs> I can't remember if the person is a patron or not and I, I feel bad now for saying this because I'm not picking on anybody, but it, it is, it really is critical. I guess that's the important part. With the big hive at my friend's house, luckily those, she has pretty sweet bees. And so I went through frame by frame, very carefully looking for additional swarm cells to harvest. And then also very carefully to the best of my ability, and gosh, I hope I got it right, to make sure there were zero started queen cells in the big hive that I was leaving behind because we very much wanted to be able at day 10 to come back in and collect our queen cells to break this hive down into multiple nukes because she really wants to expand her yard. So I went through, I did find another frame that had two beautiful started queen cells. They weren't quite capped. They were still open. So I took the liberty and she and I are collaborating in this way to put the, that frame of open 
cap cells in a box and I brought that one home so that that queen can mate here at five apple and get and get a whole different set of genetics from the drone side but when I felt fairly sure well I won't even say fairly I tried my best I believe to the best of my ability there were zero started queen cells in that big hive now we are back at the proper starting line and they will begin from scratch to build a queen and hopefully then at 10 days we will have multiple queen cells and we can break that hive up into however many nukes and queen cells we can get out of it and we will pick the best ones and and get her yard going bigger this is what happens bee math is so much like chicken math you know it's like i just want two pet chickens and then all of a sudden you have a whole flock <laughs> and you know you all know that is exactly what happens with bees okay well i've rambled on and on and i hope there's something in here that you find helpful I sure appreciate every single one of you. I'm still working on the podcast to try to describe how it all happened and why I'm so in love with the Layens Hive. And in fact, why I'm going to try to switch my whole operation to a combination of hybrid Layens and Lazutin that takes a regular Langstroth frame. This is my personal holy grail. And then a combination, strangely enough, I, th- I think my little medium frames and my queen castles, I think I can still use all that just in a, in a specialized kind of way. But anyway, I'm getting off track. I hope you have a most wonderful week. I hope the spring is just beautiful wherever you are. And I appreciate all of you. Talk to you soon.